Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8.com. It was our job to get ahead of the claims, so to speak, because they might not have had loads of shares, but you can guarantee if the one right person shares it and it just blows up and becomes um, this whole new conspiracy theory. Welcome to Needlestack, the podcast for professional online research. I'm your host, Matt Ashburn, and that is a fact that cannot be debunked. And I'm Jeff Phillips, tech industry veteran and curious to a fault. Um, today, we're continuing our series, our super interesting series, by the way, on fact checking and debunking with another great guest. Today, we have Nick Hardings. Um, Nick is a fact checker based in London with Reuters, and he's a former uh, digital news editor. So welcome to the show, Nick. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me. Love this, what, your work that we've seen online. Um, why don't we kind of start at the beginning here? Tell us a little bit about your role at Reuters and, and how you ended up on the fact checking team. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you. Um, so I, my role at Reuters is to basically source claims, source misinformation um, and write articles that we can that can correct that inf misinformation. Um, how I got onto the team is, well, I was previously working, as you said, as a digital news editor, working at the coalface, um, addressing breaking news and um, getting to getting through a lot of stories not necessarily in a lot of detail um but getting through lots of stories in a day you could get through like 10 stories in a day um but when i when i left that job uh, this opportunity opened itself up to me and it offered what was basically the opposite of of what i was doing in that former job so it was offering me a chance to go to, to dig, dig deep when it comes to writing stories to to uncover you know to uncover truth um leave no stone unturned and um every rose-eyed journalist comes out of university wanting to um wanting to write things that aid truth and information and kind of further those causes and so that's exactly why this job just felt like something i had to take up and have absolutely loved doing it since um, and so like I could be spending now like two week, two, three weeks on stories rather than two hours or less than two hours. So having the opportunity to, to, yeah, to really dig deep into claims, um, and, and correct things that need correcting and some, sometimes quite dangerous information was, was just an opportunity I simply couldn't turn down. 
so Nick, I'm wondering, how do you decide whether or not to fact check a specific claim or story that might be out there? Are there specific criteria or thresholds that you evaluate? Yeah, of course. So there's there's a few different things that we do uh, that we need to look at before establishing whether or not we're going to address a claim. Um, one of the first things is how harmful that claim might be. We've seen with COVID myths and disinformation um, some really quite harmful claims that have circulated on social media. And so if we see something that we think is going to put people off a certain course of action or potentially lead people down a certain course of action as well, um, we uh, that, that, that piques our interest and we look at that and think, okay, that needs addressing because that could generally be very harmful to members of the public. Um, it, it, it could, yeah, in, in some, it's no not being too hyperbolic, but it, it could be a case of life or death sometimes with some of the information um, that people absorb. And so we need to ensure that the truth is out there and is and that falsehoods are addressed. Um, so that's one of the things that we look at. Another thing could be how widely a story has been shared on social media. So if we're seeing something that's got thousands of shares on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, it's, it's something that's going to need addressing, especially if it's wrong. Um, because, you know, to borrow an old saying, a, a lie can make its make its way around the world before the truth has even put its boots on. We need to make sure if, if something has already got out there and is, is gripping people and striking fear into people in some cases, um, we need to be the people who step in and, and kind of calm that down, address that, get the truth out there. Uh, and with a company like the size of Reuters as well, what we say brings quite a lot of heft to to a story um and so people respect what we have to say and so it's, it's really important that we get our side and the truth out there for that reason um a couple of other um criterion that we that we use we'd address claims that are topical as well so we've seen with the ukraine russia conflict um, loads of claim servicing and back in February it, it, for us that that day February the 24th was was really busy because we just saw all sorts of videos um, um, surfacing on social media that some of them would be from video games some of them from would be from separate former conflicts and so we had to it was our job to get ahead of the claims so to speak because they might not have had loads of shares, but you can guarantee if the one right person shares it and it just blows up and becomes um, this whole new conspiracy theory, if we haven't addressed it ourselves, that there's a danger of that happening. So um, if something's topical, that's another reason why we would, um, we would address it. Um, and then also, lastly, the status of the person sharing that um, misinformation. Um, I won't name names, but there are certain people that we follow on a daily basis who we know to be um, spreaders of misinfo or just kind of misleading stories, uh, headlines, etc. And so if we see that person um, coming up with a new theory, new claim, it's important for us also to get on that again early before it gets out of hand and starts spreading to all corners of the internet because as i said once these things reach those corners it's, it's quite hard to put a lid on it but 
being a company like Reuters, I think we're one of the best placed organisations to be able to put a lid on those claims. That that makes a lot of sense. And there's almost, I mean, all four of those points, Nick, and including there's almost like a, a first mover advantage there that that's going to take hold and people, you know, kind of immediately make a decision. Um, but uh, all four of those, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, you know, I think we've mentioned to you, um, we have a lot of practitioners that listen in on our, on our podcast. You think you could maybe walk us through how you fax check something from start to finish, or maybe is there an example of something you've worked on in the past that could kind of tell our listeners, you know, how, how did it start and how did it, how did it finish from a fact checkers perspective? Yeah, of course. So there's, you know, we can have really short claims that we address, or as I said beforehand, we could have things that we're working on for two or three weeks. Um, I think I, I won't take two or three weeks to tell the story, but there's one that uh, I'm, I'm particularly proud of. And, and, and um, it, it, um, it got a lot of focus on it. And I, I, I'm just really glad that we, we address this. So back in um, December of last year, there was a list going round of 108 FIFA footballers who had supposedly, it was, well, it was purportedly 108 FIFA footballers who had died. And this proved that there was a link between the COVID-19 vaccines and athlete deaths. Now, I started seeing that claim surfacing on social media. Um, and so I brought it up in a morning meeting that we have and explained why I think it was something that was important for us to um, get on top of. And yeah, the, the t people in my team agreed um, because it was at a time when we were seeing some famous co uh, collapses on sports fields. I know Christian Eriksen collapsing during the Euros in um, last that, year. Yeah. Certainly got, yeah, certainly got a lot of people worried. Um, and there were some other incidents that we were seeing, um, another one being another um, fo footballer or soccer player um, called Sergio Aguero, who was kind of clutching his chest on the, on the pitch one day. And so, and we were seeing um, fans collapsing in the stands as well. So it was something that was topical and it was something that needed to be addressed. So we started seeing this um, claim being, the, the engagement was through the roof. There are thousands of people discussing it believing it um, and spreading it. And so, yeah, it's it's got all the hallmarks for something that we would need to address. Um, so I started investigating. Um, and what I found was that, you know, this list didn't relate specifically to just FIFA registered footballers. Um, there were factual inaccuracies in the, in the list. It was, yeah, it, it was all over the place. Where it in, where it um, originated, it surfaced in a Hebrew language article online, and so it was it was all written in Hebrew. Um, and the claim was 108 professional footballer uh, athletes, coaches, I think, college and youth sports uh, players had died since December 2020, and it was very heavily implying that um, this was to do with the uh, COVID-19 vaccines. So what I did was I translated the list and checked all 108 people who are on that list. Um, 
that included, and what I found was that it included people from all sorts of sports, whether it be archery to weightlifting, football to, um, uh, to <laughs> rugby, and, and there were all sorts of levels as well. Um, there were some professionals in there, complete amateurs. Um, there was, I remember there was a, a, a teacher, I think a golf caddy and maybe even just a doctor. You're looking up all 108 names. Yeah. Yeah. Every single one that I've, I, there was a spreadsheet that I created, um, so I had written proof that I'd gone through every single story and checked um, what had happened to them. And so some of these people just had no connection, a real connection to established professional sports. So immediately you're skeptical, rightly skeptical, skeptical about that. Um, and then so I started looking through news reports about these deaths. Some were caused by heart issues. Um, some had no cause established, you know, the, the, the reports just didn't offer anything. So to jump to a conclusion early is, is just, was just wrong. Um, other causes were prior COVID infections. One person had a traumatic brain injury. I think there were a couple of suspected suicides. One even took place before the pandemic had begun. So this wasn't a comprehensive list of 108 FIFA registered footballers, but this is the that's the phrasing that's being spread in misinformation circles 108 fifa footballers died in six months so what i did is i spoke with the um mhra the medicines health medicine healthcare uh, products Re regulatory agency i've probably probably got that wrong but we'll call it the mhra um in the uk i spoke with fifa lo lots of governing bodies sporting governing bodies from around the world world athletics included in that a few national um governing bodies the rugby football league here in the uk uh the national rugby league down in australia and i spoke to um a charity in the uk called cardiac risk in the young and some experts uh, cardiologists uh, on top of that and they all confirmed that they had to they had seen no links between, well, not, not to put words in all of their mouths, but the long story short is that we found that um, there was no established link or they hadn't seen reports linking deaths, players collapsing, etc., to COVID vaccines. And so in the end, after getting, after going through this list, you know, with a fine tooth comb, speaking to these experts, um, who offered, who, who told me that there were just no papers that would prove this, no established reputable papers that um, would, would back that claim up. We were able to write a fact check on it. And so the fact check, it got um, written, edited and whatever, as any news article would do. And when it got published, it, um, it, it featured really prominently on Twitter. And this is the bit that I'm just super proud of and um, the, the work that we've put in just was it, it it all kind of paid off in this one moment um i just happened to be i just happened to be going to a, a football match myself that evening that it got published and it ended up on twitter and um i was going to watch west ham united play at their home stadium and i was that there are dozens of queues that you can join to, to go into this stadium right and um i i ended up in one behind these two guys who were just talking about people 
collapsing of football matches and players collapsing of football matches. And one of them was just like, yeah, I've heard there's been like hundreds of people dying uh, in, in the footballing world. And his mate said to him, no, no, um, no, if you've not seen, they have, they've kind of corrected that. Um, there's been some fact check about it and uh, it, there's there's no established link between the two. And it was just one of those moments where you're like, wow, I could, I could have stood anywhere and I've stood here and I've heard them talking directly about an article that I wrote and there, there wasn't, it hadn't been written by anyone else at that point. And therefore it was my work that they would have seen. So I did interrupt them and ask them where had they seen it. They confirmed where they'd seen it. And um, it just, yeah, it filled me with a real sense of pride because it was just that moment where you see the real world impact of the work that we're doing. And I think that's wow. really important for people to remember um, because there is a real world impact. These stories that we write, sorry, not stories, these articles that we write um, can change people's mindsets or can confirm uh, to people what the truth and what misinformation looks like. So Nick, you're part of a larger team that is dedicated to nothing but fact-checking. And that's that's really important work that you guys are doing. But I'm wondering, as consumers of media, as consumers of information, uh, are there any tips that, that we should be aware of? Are, are there tips that you would give to, to average people out there uh, to, to discern whether or not something may or may not be misinformation or something that requires fact-checking? Yeah, so I'd, I'd um, recommend people just have a, a healthy scepticism of stuff that they're seeing online. Um, you don't want to be sceptical about absolutely everything you see because that can lead you down some rabbit holes, which leads towards misinformation. But um, so long as you, if you see a headline, a video, an image that just seems too good to be true, um, or if it feels like it's been posted to drum up a an emotional response just just double check that you know google's a couple of clicks away and if, if, if there's an event going on in the world and you see some video uh, su supposedly from that event you can go online and check to see whether that situ that video the situation you're seeing in that video matches up to what the news reports um are saying because quite often uh, what people say is that you know the, the news is covering these things up but actually if these situations these fantastical situations that are misinformation were happening news outlets would be all over those stories the news outlets would be covering these stories so if you see something that's too good to be true that isn't being covered by the mainstream media then it's it, there's probably a good chance that it's it's not something relevant to that event um I'd also recommend, um, yeah, if you see some a, a grainy footage in a video, that's another one, uh, or, or a grainy image in a world where we've got camera phones that have got the, just the highest quality pictures on them, right? Then, then double check that as well, because if you're, if you're not, um, qu quite often these grainy images can, they're grainy because the person sharing them wants there to be a bit of doubt and they don't want to the grainier an image the more difficult it is for us fact checkers to track as well so be skeptical about, about things like that too crazy headlines that you see um from newspapers from news outlets whatever 
you can search those easily on Twitter, Facebook, Google. And so if you're seeing a headline that seems just to to be drumming up a fear about, be it vaccines, be it um, the conflict in Ukraine with Russia, be it about immigration, whatever, you just just think about why that headline has been created that way and then go and check that that headline actually exists. That's one way that you can, that the everyday user can, can prevent themselves from falling for or sharing misinformation themselves. That, uh, that makes, that makes a lot of sense to have a, a healthy sense of criticism. Um, and, and Nick, all of that is really good information and things to keep in mind. The other thing I would probably add to that is that it's incredibly important that as consumers of media, that we maintain an awareness of what triggers us uh, individually, right? So for example, if you're reading an article, if you're reading something in the newspaper or online or or something that's shared on social media and it elicits a, uh, a strong response, a strong emotional response from you, that might be something that could uh, could trigger in you uh, some additional critical thinking there to, to further evaluate that information. You know, what is the motivation of the, the author of this information? Uh, are there certain phrases that are in there that are designed to evoke some kind of response from me and to, to either uh, sow division or perhaps just to uh, make it more salacious than the, the information really is? I think even when we were talking beforehand, you also mentioned, you know, it's not a bad idea to, to follow and read both sides of any of any argument and try to uh, see where it's likely that things the truth is somewhere in the middle. Right. Which seems exactly as, as you say, you know, f follow people with differing opinions, because as, as you say, quite often the truth will fall somewhere in between those areas. And if it doesn't fall in between those areas, I can guarantee you that journalists will be will be seeking that story out. Um, and quite often we deal with people who are on the fringe of, say, medicine and science. There's usually a good reason for them being considered fringe. And so, yes, do your own research with 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 the news. But there there are reasons why there are established and trusted outlets like ourselves covering stories. So, Nick, as we start to wrap up today, is there anything else that you'd like to share with with the listeners and the viewers that are out there? Yeah, I, I would. There are a couple of things I, I would say to anyone who has an interest in fact checking, actually, um, if it's something that you want to give a go, I I'd completely encourage it. It, it. The skills that you learn in fact checking can be used in, in all sorts of walks of life. And, and you really do uh, get just a fascinating experience of what the Internet can offer as well. If you did, uh, you know, follow as many misinformation accounts as possible, maybe on a separate, um, a separate social media to your usual but personal social media, because um, you don't necessarily want to blend the two um, too much. Um, hmm. And follow fact checking organisations because we're, we're doing important work, and we do our best to to leave no stone unturned, and we're very very proud of that integrity and that honesty and accuracy that we offer and I, I can only speak for myself here but working in fact checking has completely changed kind of my approach to journalism and it's made me mature as a journalist so if you 
have any opportunity to give it a go, whether it's on an amateur level or, you know, working in a company um, like Reuters, then I can only, you know, encourage you to do it because it's been a game changer for me as a journalist. And the skills that I've learned in this will just, you know, they'll see me through to the end of my career, which hopefully will be a long and, uh, and prosperous. Thanks very much to our special guest, Nick Hardings. Thank you so much, Nick, for being with us today. If you at home liked what you heard, you can subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. You can also watch episodes and obtain other information on our website at authenticate.com slash needlestack. That's authentic with the number eight dot com slash needlestack. Also, be sure to follow us if you're on Twitter at needlestackpod. We'll be back next week with an interview with David Agronovich of Meta, and he'll be discussing disinformation, misinformation, and efforts to disrupt these threats that are out there. You don't want to miss it, and so we'll see you then. Hi there, I'm Matt Ashburn, host of the Needlestack podcast. Needlestack is brought to you by Authenticate, creators of the go-to online investigation platform, Silo for Research. If you're looking for a way to conduct research anonymously, protect against cyber threats, all while avoid tipping off your investigative targets, then you want to try Silo for Research. The Silo Research platform completely isolates your online web browsing, allowing you a choice of location and digital fingerprint, and also has built-in workflow and automation tools. The best part is that Silo for Research is software as a service, so it can be used from any computer or location without the need for things like virtual machines, standalone networks, or, or dirty networks. To learn more about Silo for Research, visit Authenticate.com. That's Authentic with the number 8, .com.